It's Wednesday, November 8th, 2023, and you're listening to Radio Free XP. Everything's mechanical, and um, ever since I was a kid, that's how I'm wired. I took all my toys apart. Drove. I used to, as a, as a child, I literally had this experience. My parents said, if you take your toys apart as soon as you get them, you don't get any more next Christmas. So I figured out a good waiting plan it was about six weeks. They forgot what they had bought. Then I take them apart and reassemble, make some, make other new things, right? Right. So map, maps in my head about rooms and cities, count stairs, count steps. I don't need lights on in my house. If I happen to be out, uh, it's okay. I know my way around, that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, so, and so everything, um, computers, cars, houses, bicycles, software, it's all, it's all mechanical. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Radio Free XP. I'm Jesse Alford, my co-host and our interviewer today, Tony Hansman. Hello. We're trying to do something a little different with today's episode because we have a different type of guest. We've up until now interviewed or had on people who are already part of the Pivotal Experience or the XP movement. And this time we have someone who's being introduced to it for the first time. Where are we going with this? Yeah, so the whole reason for Radio Free XP is to promote XP as a model. And, and I know that there's an audience out there and they'll listen to it. But we have to go, I always talked about being outside the dojo. Like what happens when we get outside the walls of Pivotal, right? And so I met Steven and he's a founder here in Phoenix, Arizona, where I live. And he wants a technical co-founder. And when I heard that, I'm like, well, here's the, a few things I would want to know if I was a technical co-founder. And we started talking about the kinds of things I always talk about. Turn the ship around, never split the difference, extreme programming explained, and the Eric Reese Lean Library. And I introduced him to these concepts and he did his own research. And you'll hear in the podcast that he, you know, he really has a lot of attraction to these ideas. And so I thought, as pivots, you, you want to be able to ask this set of questions. The goal here is, you know, Jesse, you've got, a, you've got a good take on what we're trying to do. You're the one who challenged me. We need yeah. to make more pivots. Right. right. So, so we, we've got an agreement that there are lots of good post-pivotal projects going on right now, and they are pursuing parts of the business model space that's possible for this. And that's great. I think there should be more pivots involved in startups. I think that pivot should be starting prod, uh, startups and getting expertise in the building and running of startups and having a model for what a successful XP-enabled startup looks like. We don't necessarily have the skills and experiences for that as much as I would like to see them in the community, but we do have some. There are also, at all times, people who have startup ideas all over the world who are moving them along, sometimes who are experienced or sometimes who have the skills we need. So there's two big things here. One, working with these people will make more startup experienced pivots who will then be in a position to make more startups. Two, startups that pivots become involved in, which is a, a fairly standard thing that the community kind of already knows how to do to some extent, that process can be delicate. Finding the right fit where we're going to be able to actually have an impact on this small organization, there's, there's two sides to it. Like these medium to large organizations that pivots are often attracted to and what they have experience with, and then they try and transform, you run into a lot of friction and resistance. And ultimately, I don't think that those places broadly will be transformed to the point that pivots will be satisfied with staying there. You know, some impact can be had. I'm not trying to say everyone should quit these things immediately, but I do kind of think that. 
Uh, I'm just not going to come out here and try and convince everyone of it. Um, I've got, I've got deep experience that it's challenging. And, and again, the leader leader model is what I see as the largest impediment, right? This turn the ship around David Marquet concept of a leader leader model. It's one of the things you've identified as you really want to test for this upfront, because if a place is going to work the way that pivots want it to, this is a name we've been able to put to a pattern of leadership where everyone is contributing leadership. If people are willing to work that way, if they buy it deeply, if they're willing to check themselves and correct towards it, right? If they, if you can get buy-in, then you can have leader-leader. And if you can have leader-leader, then you can have the type of impact pivots want. Mostly pivots are operating in environments where leader-leader is not available. And, you know, I, I definitely want to have more conversations with David Marquet, but in the one we were already able to have, one of the things he said was that he's been able to do this wherever he's been the top guy, but he has not been able to create a durable leader-leader system in places where there are leader-follower people above him and having a significant impact on the environment. So startups are a great opportunity where you get to have a conversation, a balanced conversation with someone who's looking for a co-founder, something like that, where you can say, hey, I've heard this system can only work if we have buy-in from the top. And I think it's really powerful. And here we are talking about building something where we're at the top. Do we have deep agreement, not the type of shallow agreement you can accidentally arrive at where it's like, oh yeah, we're nodding, we're on the same page, but like deep agreement, not just head nodding that we want to work this way and that we're, we're willing to make the sacrifices to work this way. And, you know, I say sacrifices, what I mean is trade-offs, that we know the trade-offs that will come and which way we want to bias ourselves in those conversations. So the four books you mentioned create a good framework. I'm not sure it's the, the final one or whatever, but like you can have a conversation with somebody and actually arrive at leader, leader, and these other things as a model, like, oh, the uh, another thing we've talked about, the most important way that we are going to take risks, that we're going to spend our risk budget, one, we're going to think of it as a risk budget, and two, we're going to focus it on getting and making the most use out of information about things like product market fit and finding a viable customer base, and this sort of thing that startups really need to be able to do and that XP practices can really help enable, uh, especially if we're aligned across both sides where we're not out here trying to uh, perfectly build a long-term sustainable app every time we want to prototype something because that's the only right way to build it. Like that, there are fears on both sides of this conversation about are we going to be really aligned on what our priorities are and what might be at stake as we make these conversations. So you've got a guest on and you talked about some of those things with him. That's right. Yeah. And and it was a great conversation because he was he was totally open. He he as soon as he even read a gloss of these things, he's like, yeah, OK, yep. How come everyone doesn't do it this way? And, you know, you hear it. You hear it in the interview. It speaks for itself. But for pivots, you know, I want every pivot to be able to have this conversation. If you're at a party and someone's like, oh, I have a software company, I want you to be like, hey, there's there's a set of models that will help you reduce the risk profile of many of the things startups do. And we'll put all your risk budget in this product market to fit model. Yeah. And here's and here they are. And I want every pivot to be great at that. I want as Jesse, you were saying you want every pivot to help with a startup. And yeah. you've got a you've got a very eloquent way to think about it. And so this to me is just iteration zero of like how do you actually involve yourself in the real world where all you actually can do is advise a little bit. 
Can right. you advise effectively and can we move toward the models that we you know, fundamentally have a deep exp experience or, or how it works? Right. And can you help connect these people to the places that a lot of your friends work? A lot of my friends work at XP consultancies who this will develop the market for, right? Like an right. XP startup that's working this way will come to a moment where they want to spend some money without making hires to do development in a way that's congruent with their agreed upon values. That person's going to go to 33 teams or RDM for help, right? Like they're, yeah, that, they're when I say start help with a startup, even words like networking don't really, they have an implication to people that I don't think encompasses the good feeling positive, useful social interaction and easy, like normal social interactions that are available here. That's pretty much it. You know, uh, I invite all pivots to listen to this and, you know, figure out, hey, how would you talk to a founder about this? If you were considering being a technical co-founder, what other questions would you ask? S send us. So Steve is totally willing to iterate. If we get a pile of questions, He'll just answer them because for, I want to take two steps back and look at what's in this for a founder. They can go social network their desire to have a co-founder, a technical co-founder. They can tell you, here's what I would expect you to handle. And here's what I don't think you should have to handle. And here's how I handle them. And so you, you can get this crazy picture that will, the thing about pairing and the thing about any of these deep kind of agreements is that you can be really good at what you're really good at and you can have a good negotiation about what you're not good at. And I think that's just, that's the way to start. All right. Well, we, I think we'll come back and wrap up afterwards, but just let's just listen to the conversation. Uh, Perfect. It starts with everything's mechanic. Yes. And, and so everything, um, computers, cars, houses, bicycles, software, it's all, it's all mechanical. Yeah. Hyper mechanical. Okay. That, that's fantastic. You know, for, for folks who are looking as a technical co-founder, you really want that understanding. There is no magic in the world. There's a mechanism behind everything. Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. That's a, that's a great view. So I, I will also notice that you learned the mechanism of your parents' attention six weeks. Yeah. Well, I wanted to keep getting stuff right. So you got to watch. All mechanical. Okay. Well, as we go through the kinds of things, someone who might be a technical co-founder would want to know that mechanical intro is great. What, let's do a broader intro. So. First of all, you know, where are you at today? You, you know, I understand that you have development, housing development company. Yeah. So my, so I, I have a, still have a regular day job and I also have been developing, uh, short-term rentals and midterm rentals for the last 20 years. So we designed and built from the ground up. We've got to write about it a little bit for, um, uh, bigger pockets and, and do some things like that fairly early when we first started there were 14 vrbo rentals in northern arizona now there's something like 2400 there's a lot of them right spinner been there done that um bunch of real estate stuff and a bunch of regular jobs um, but i've worked for big companies like ibm and american express and i've worked for little companies uh some which grew to be big companies like commvault you know, help them grow that from very small to quite large those kinds of things. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you focus a little bit on Commvault? I mean, that sounds like the closest thing to what you're doing, what you're after doing now. Yeah, it is because it's software play. Um, so there were, I don't remember exactly how many people, maybe 160 people. So it wasn't super small, but it was still very much a startup when I joined when they needed the, um, the sales engineer function, 
got paired up with a good sales guy, right? And it had been a target of mine, right? I mean, ever since they'd actually started, I went, you know, that's different. It's a fresh take on a business problem that everybody's got. Um, went after it and, and took that job. And then for about 10, a little over 10 years, I went and, and grew that. We that's had, I, I was part of the, the, how do I put the most performant team almost every quarter for those 10 years. Right. So in a lot of ways, it wasn't my first SE gig, but in a lot of ways, it was the one that formed a lot of my habits and opinions and taught me the things to do for success. So I trained most of the SEs that came to Commvault in the United States for eight out of 10 years, you know, helped them understand what hardware was. They had no idea what hardware was. They decided that they were going to get into the hardware game first by supporting storage snapshots. And uh, nobody in software development had ever worked on storage before. So I got to get in and get a little bit muddy and all and play around in that stuff. Early, early VMware and how to back that up and how does that actually work and how does VNEP work and oh my, we got to make this work because our customers are starting to do this, right? Just it's fun stuff all the way along. Uh, a lot of formative experience there because we ran into new and interesting problems, whether they were structural, organizational, software landscape, competitive, uh, or just, you know, like I said, part of it, how do we, how do we teach a software organization, how to understand hardware so that they can write the interfaces correctly and do better than somebody else out there. Okay. Well, that, that to me is a huge knowing how to go to market because many software companies know how to write software, but they do not know how to go to market. And that is, that's critical. So you have to be, yeah, yeah. You have to be paying attention to what customers ask for and also have to be able to suss out what do they really need versus what are they asking for? Sometimes you have to help them figure that out. Agreed. Okay. So as a founder of this tech company, you bring just a huge range of experience, including deep in the technical business, including building technical businesses. Yeah. I've been around the block a bit, been in a lot of different places done a lot of different things. Yeah. Okay, great. So someone who would be coming to you as a technical co-founder, you know, they might have weaknesses in some of these areas. So as you think about a technical co-founder, I love to think in the non-overlapping weaknesses <clears throat> model. So pretty clear where your strengths are, but what kind of weaknesses can you make up for someone who might want to be a technical co-founder? Well, I can help a lot with go-to-market. I can help a lot with sales. I can help a lot with the idea of marketing, if not necessarily every mechanical bit of marketing, customer understanding, interviewing customers, under, you know, going out and figuring out what is it people really need and really want, business development. You know, I've done a couple of other startups recently where the whole thing was business development. How do you take something very technical that nobody knows about, no one's ever heard of, but you know a whole bunch of them need it? How do you take it out there? Those are the things that, that I can help with. Conversely, I'm not a software guy. I sort of stick to scripting and fixing a few things around the margins of the product that I'm working on now. And that's why I need a technical co-founder. Right. So one, one of the other things, to me, there's the major parts of a software business. There is that go-to-market. There is the technical. You might say delivery, depending on what, how you define go-to-market. But we'll just wrap all those things up. There's the really boring parts, which is what is the right operational model? I mean, finance, accounts, receivable, accounts, payable. Can you cover the operational model of a company? I can actually, because I've been part and parcel of them from 
ground zero on up and watched him change. Um, I don't know everything. I, I, I want this to rapidly become large enough that I need an operations person who's, who focuses on that and that's all they do. But I've got play and know how to get it cracking, uh, initially. Great. When I think about a technical co-founder, you know, I think the, the, the concerns they should have is does anyone here actually know how to run a sane business? <laughs> that, that, that is actually uh, the technical co-founders first question should be that like, am I walking into a place that can tell me how much money has been spent this year, right? It was just super basic question. So simple stuff. Yeah. You do. You got to watch the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. Kind of, it's kind of how it goes. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate that a really long time ago. Um, I had the experience of, of, I could have joined a software company when it was extremely, extremely small and it's, I won't mention who it was, uh, but it's a, it's a software company. Everybody knows now at the time it was being run by one tyrant and three guys programming stuff. And they needed somebody to write documentation. He gave me the fastest PC I've ever seen and cut me loose. But after three days of watching the way the shop operated, I'm like, I'm out of here. It succeeded in despite that, because as soon as they sold a few things, they ended up with a board who ripped that guy out and brought in actual people who knew how to run a company yeah. and they became somebody that didn't know who they were if I mentioned them. But, um, yeah, so I, I get that. Um, I, I try to keep, I try to keep things sane and honestly, this is new. It's very small at this point. It's sane right now. Uh, it'll stay sane to the extent that I can get my, my proper co-founder. Well, you, you said a magic term there, which is tyrant, which is that, you know, there are certain kind of management models. Part of the thing we've talked about is, you know, David Marquez turned the ship around leader, leader model. I understand you come into contact with some of that stuff and the term you use was violently agree, which I, I also violently agree with that. Mm -hmm. So for someone who might be a technical co-founder, how, how would that kind of model, how do you envision it working with someone who's really specifically technical and you're like, hey, I'll, I'm going to, we're going to cover the other arenas. So how does it, the model there work with someone who really wants to narrowly focus on their arena? So with, without knowing that this would someday be called leader, leader by Marquet, um, my early experiences with leadership were I took over a team. And I was told, you know, we're all moving to corporate. You got to, you got to hold down the fort here at this location. Uh, go run this help desk. And the first thing I said to everybody was, Hey, you know, your jobs, you know what you need to do. You know, the customers. Okay. Um, go do it. And if there's anything that you need, if there's anything that I can get for you, if there's a push out of the way, you get it for me. Now, you know what we're being measured on. So let me know. Talk to me. We're going to have time every week. We're going to report on what happened. We've got tickets to do all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is the thing is it, it, I want to find smart people who know what they do, know how to do what they do. I want them to do it. And I don't mind if somebody says, Hey, um, I think we should do it this way instead. Okay, great. If you think that's a better way, let's talk it, talk, talk, talk about it convince me, tell me that that's the way to do it. And then we'll, we'll move forward. Um, I, I can't build a company any other way other than smart people who all know what they're doing and they lead their function. Right. Great. And so 
that's a, you know, that's a refreshing point of view on leadership. I want to touch on a couple of other things that we have talked about, which I think bear directly on this, which is you took a look at the software craft craftsmanship movement and said, yeah, that just, that just makes sense. And I assume that just linked right up with your mechanical person. You gave me a, you ran that out. So run out what you saw and what you read about in the software craftsmanship movement, how it resonated. Right. So when I look at the software craftsmanship movement, the idea that we're going to write code that's simple, it's made to be something that's explainable. Um, we're going to be responsible for quality rather than just quantity and, and build it like, like I'm a woodworker, right? I actually make things out of wood quality. Um, you have to do it. If it, look, if you don't do it the first time, you'll, you'll find time to do it again and find time to do it over. And, um, when you pointed out the software craftsmanship movement, look, I'm not a software guy. Um, I was surprised that everybody doesn't work that way to tell you the truth, because how the heck are you going to turn out a good product, especially given we have to, I know we have to iterate fast, right? You know, the name of your show, radio free XP It's a thing I didn't really understand until I went and I looked it up and I'm like, well, that's exact. How would you not? I can't argue with it. Maybe if you're a software guy, you can argue with it, but I can't. It, it looks like it makes perfect sense to me. Bite off little pieces, chew them properly, move on to the next one. Make it easy. Yeah. And it's so, it's so gratifying to hear because it, it, it works so well. It works as well as you think it would. It just, it works as good as it looks like on paper. And so okay. when you combine, uh, you know, a no magic view of the world with a, you know, nominally friendly leader, leader model with software craftsmanship and XP, to me, you have eliminated a huge number of risks in a startup. And yes, I, I absolutely agree. And, uh, we've had some short discussions around where the risks are and how to eliminate a lot of them. Those structures absolutely will eliminate most of the risk and the rest of it is going to be, uh, write it, test it, get the feedback, make sure that we're doing the next thing that we do is something people actually want and actually want to pay for, right? The whole product market fit thing becomes the last issue we really need to work out. I mean, nominally anyway, always stuff to have stuff to, to have to handle, but, um, the large, large set of risks are going to, you know, going to come down to that. Are we paying attention to the market, giving it what it wants? hundred percent. Okay. Well, that, that is a, if I'm a technical founder, this, these are the questions I ask, right? Because someone who's been around the block knows the big the big pieces that are in building a company. And so to me, you've got a very sane view on the pieces to build it. Let's go to location. So I am in Phoenix. I'm committed to building a software infrastructure here in Phoenix. You want to hire software people in Phoenix. So talk a little bit about your focus on Phoenix, what you would like, um, you know, sell Phoenix a little bit. Well, for me, obviously, it's because it's it's where I am, and I'd really like to be able to breathe the same air and sit in the same room with somebody that I'm working with. Um, if you're not in Phoenix and you think this is interesting, let me know. Maybe you've been wanting to move to Phoenix. Hey, um, it's it's real hot in the summer, but the rest of the time it's really gorgeous. And if you 
we've got multiple climates. You only have to drive a couple hours to get, you know, lakes and trees and another couple hours and you can get to the ocean, right? So it's not, um, it's not a bad place at all. It's a good place to be. And of course the infrastructure is getting better uh, for your efforts are important here. Um, the venture cafe things that are going on in my AI space, we're finally getting meetups and discussions around those topics in meaningful and useful ways, right? So it's, it's becoming a better place to do this stuff. I'll, I'll add in that, you know, when you talk to people with some experience in the, in the software industry, they, they'll talk about Phoenix as nascent. And I definitely feel that nascent, but on the flip side, there are people who want to invest and there are people who really want to help. And so ASU has got a little bit of an incubator startup thing going around Tempe. So there are software companies here. And there are many people with large federal cash grants who want more. So, yeah. so I'll, I'll, I'll toss in my side piece, which is, Hey, if you also want to build technical community and you'd like to start, my personal goal is, is exactly what you're saying. Hey, let's start with leader, leader models. Let's start with software craftsmanship based stuff. We talked about Eric Reese and the lean model. If you have those three things, you have, once again, you've backed out a lot of your risk because you know exactly how those models will work. There's a book to adjudicate if you really have. So. Right. Right. Well, we'll go back to the book. If there's an argument, you go back to the but book. No, absolutely build this stuff out here. Um, who what was that? If you build it, they will come. I okay, think we're covering our bases here, if you will. I, having participated in the Silicon Valley ecosystem, I, it's not, you can't reproduce that, but we don't have to, if we could re reproduce a small amount of it, but with much better structure, that's the win for me. Yeah. We're starting up with a leg up, right? We're starting with the experience of someplace else that built all of it. Should be able to build something. Okay. Steve, I think that covers a huge amount of waterfront. I think that someone could listen to this 20-ish minutes and get a real sense of whether they are interested. Let's turn to the technology. What are you up to? What do you need in a technical co-founder? You know, let's hear that. Right. So um, what I need in a co-founder is, let's start out with what the product is because that's more, that'll, that'll inform most of this discussion. So there's a problem out there that I want to address. And we all have the problem and to some extent, how many years we've been on the earth determines how big the problem is for us. Right. And that is, we have a lot of information. We produce an immense amount of personal information and it's everything in email. It's every receipt we get, everything we buy, if you buy a house, you've got all kinds of paperwork. If you ever go to the doctor, you've got paperwork. If you have a job whether it's one or multiples or multiple things you do, you got to file taxes, right? Um, there's an immense amount of information. We collect it uh, more and more every day. So for years now, I've been wanting something that would help me. And the, the poster child use case that I always come out with first, because it's easy, is how long does it take you to get ready to file your taxes, right? Does it take you an hour? Maybe if you're young and you only got one paycheck, you got you know, not much to do yet. Uh, does it take you hours? 
Does it take you days? Does it take you weeks? It could take a really long time, right? I wanted something that could take all the documents that I have and I, I keep them all scanned. I can make sure everything's electronic anyway. Um, something to help me do that. Well, what if we had a product that could? What if you could say, hey, and the name of the product is Spirio. Hey, Spirio, get all the stuff I need to file my taxes, put it together in a zip file and send it to my account. What if it could almost be just that? Or, um, hey, Spirio, how much money did I spend on food deliveries last quarter? Uh, what did I spend on Amazon? Um, hey, I've been trying to find Aunt Millie's potato salad recipe in my email. I know she sent it to me, but email search sucks. Can you find it for me? Boom. Here it is, right? We're looking for that Jarvis, Iron Man Jarvis kind of thing, you know? And the technology to build that, this is the other problem, didn't exist. Now it exists. We now have tools that we can begin building this with. And actually, we can get pretty far down the road. And, and what's coming, I know, will get us there um, sooner rather than later to the, get the full stack where it can help you with everything. It becomes the digital you, right? And that can help you with all that stuff on a moment's notice. But that stack is not easy to use. The average person does not play with it. If you're in technology, if you're listening to this, chances are you're playing with it and you've gone out and you're using ChatGPT or Claude or whatever you might be using but you're not the normal person. If you're listening to this, you're like me, you're not a normal person, right? You're in tech. Um, for, for, for everybody, there's 240 million adults in the United States with a smartphone. That's just here, right? So everybody's got this issue and almost all of those people do not know how to use it. We have the opportunity to make something that is easy, friction-free, speaks their language and does this stuff for them. Uh, there's a whole bunch of security concerns, of course. Um, I know those security concerns really well. Even the prototype, uh, the beta that I have running right now in test is extremely secure. Somebody gets in, they try it out and they send me a note and they say, Hey, I, I gave it this document. It gave me a really weird answer. I go, what document is that? They're like, well, can't you go get it? Uh, um, no. Tell me what it was or where you got it. I'll go get a copy of it and I'll play with it as well, right? This is the sort of thing that has to be extremely secure. Um, I mean, there's, and, and the use, the follow-on use cases, there's a, there's a marketplace to be built. And that marketplace are the accountants and the doctors and the other people that you do business with, that you need to be able to share information with. Uh, personal agents from other people, per, uh, agents that are built by companies, right? We need to be able to interface with those so that your virtual you can do the you when you don't, when you don't have time to be the you, right? So that's where that goes, uh, along with security. But think about all the stuff that you leave behind. If you're laid up if you're in the hospital, God forbid you've passed on. What happens to all your information? What happens to all your logins? The hundreds of them that you have, who's going to clean all that up? Who's going to tell somebody about it, right? Your attorney, in fact, your your family that's going to act as your attorney, right? And what about that stuff that you don't ever want anyone to see ever, right? You needed it. Uh, you need to interact with that information, but you don't want anyone else to see. There'll be a vault that survives you and goes away when you're dead, right? 
So all of that stuff is, is on the roadmap. That's where all the use cases are headed. Um, but anyway, it's, it's the virtual you. From a stack perspective, right now, uh, it's pretty simple. Right now, we're calling an LLM open, open AI. We're, we're doing it by providing a place to put data securely, currently using Langchain. And Langchain is taking care of, of embedding and chaining up queries. And then we send them out, get them back. Um, we keep a, a memory for a little while. The front end is being handled by Node right now. Uh, we're going to need Python in there in a pretty big way. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other tools that need to be pulled in at the layer where we're, we're creating chains. Really what we're creating is, is agents and, uh, those have to be assembled, but the tools are there now. It's just not quite, it's not trivial, right? There are some new things that just came out from OpenAI, and everybody's gasping because I can make my own GPT. It's, but it's still a very small subset of data, right? It only does certain things for you. We're looking for a general purpose type of thing that is focused on personal data and the kinds of things people do in their daily life. What else? What have I forgotten? Uh, so what skill set we talked about it. So you, you named off a couple of, of node and using open AI, um, there's node, Python, Langchain, the LLMs and APIs and ops around that. Cause we have to move beyond using somebody else's LLMs and hosting our own copies of certain types that are trained certain ways. So some familiarity with those tools, uh, tuning, if not outright training uh, on these LLMs. And that's pretty much, I mean, we need some front end work, but the front end's actually the easiest part. Uh, it's a pretty simple interface and we'll move on to something a little bit more complicated by putting a, a spoken a voice interface in, but the tools are there for that as well. We'll have to build uh, an app for phones as well as, I mean, right now it's a web app. I'm not wedded to a particular framework there. I'm not wedded to a particular set of tools, actually. Whatever, whatever seems to work. And again, figuring out which LLMs and exactly how to implement things and which stacks exactly. That's what I need. I need that. I need my technical co-founder who's got experience with this and who can help guide this, uh, guide this moving forward into the next iteration. And the next iteration is my MVP. Uh, it's one that I expect to be able to charge a little bit of money for. So the way this goes is, cause I know you're going to ask, I was wanting to have that, wanting to have that done by Thanksgiving where I'm a little bit behind because of trying to find somebody who can help the folks that helped out people who've been on the team so far are a little bit out of time. Did some great work. We got great design work done. We got the initial plumbing put together. It's up and running. Uh, got the interface, got the web, got some basic hosting and it's, it's not that far off. There's actually, it's a fair number of things on the list, but none of them are rocket science. Um, a competent professional developer, be able to bang that stuff out in a hurry. And then we'll be at a point where we can, we can do something with, with the product from a standpoint of, we can begin to get real traction when people will pay for it. I also happen to have access to somebody who's got a web three business that's uh, pretty big. He's got an audience that every weekend is a technical showcase, uh, showcases a project or a product 
typically gets hundreds or thousands of people to jump on board and try things out. So maybe that may, that might be where we get our first piece of, of real traction. So that's, um, that should be about a quarter out, honestly, it's, it's not a long time. And in the following quarter, we'll take what we learned from that, iterate, and then take the traction that we're generating. Whether it's a total number of users or even just, uh, when we get the word out, we should be able to develop thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who are interested parties, right? Who are waiting for something, waiting for an opportunity, waiting for it to get to a certain point where we can invite them into, you know, uh, early adopter status, give them a deal, whatever. There's a lot of different ways we might move forward to get, uh, get investment because it's going to require some investment. The things that we're going to have to build and host are, are not particularly cheap. Okay. There are two, there are two questions that come out of that. So you, you alluded to the current technical team. And so is there any technical team at all now? Well, I have, uh, the, the guy who helped me build Parthic, who helped me build the initial pipes. He's a real smart guy, but he's also pulled 17,000 ways. So he's still there who can help, who can transfer knowledge, who can, you know, help with some details when he's got time. My designers are still available whenever we need to add on to the front side, whenever we need to change something, they're available to do that work for me. And, um, and then Tyler, who is my web three guy, he's there ready to help looking, you know, he can help find resources. He can help give us a, a platform. Okay, great. And so in the first, I love you're talking about quarters. And so how big do you see the team? Let's pretend you find your technical co-founder. How long will they be working solo? How do you see the team growing? What, what does that feel like to you? You know, we'd had a previous discussion where my experience of trying to find people to do this led me to believe that maybe finding fingers for keyboards would be harder than finding money. Uh, honestly, it's, it's relatively narrowly scoped. And even though there's a lot to do at this point, I don't think we have to grow a huge number of people on the team. I think what happens is we get to the point where we get some traction. I'm going to need somebody to take over a little bit of ops work, but we're also going to need additional development help. But my, whoever my technical co-founder is hopefully can point and say, Hey, um, we need this set of skills that I don't have, or we just need these fingers that you know, don't do so much you know, so fast and make that happen. I'm not interested in, in building the size of an organization just for grins. Um, no giggles. Uh, every, again, it's back to leader leader. I need people who are smart, uh, and who are willing to go out and, and do the job. And if, you know, they own a function, right? And so I don't need anybody that has to be told what to do every minute of every day. Yeah. And that's, I've been, I've been involved in startups where that happened, right? And they got some money and then just hired willy nilly. It didn't help really. Yeah. The, the well-funded startup is a, is a, is a curse for sure. I, I've seen it many times. Yeah. We'll go with, we'll go with properly funded. How's that? Yeah. Properly. Funded. Um, okay. Well that, that's fantastic. I suppose the last sort of major question, someone entertaining this notion would want is not the details, but the broadest outline of the equity position. How do you view that? Is there a cash component to this? Again, no details, but the broadest kind of thing so someone could make a decision about their own life. Right. So at this point, we're, and this is very broad, this is very new. 
It's very small. My technical co-founder is going to come on. It's going to be an equity position. It's going to be quite substantial. And I'm looking for somebody who can do that. They probably don't need to be full-time, right? This, is, this, this doesn't have to be all-consuming just yet. And hopefully, we can go from equity only to cash pretty quickly. And I'm talking about within two, possibly three quarters, get all of the, again, getting investment in where we can uh, get the sort of remuneration necessary to be able to spend more time, right? And be more committed day to day. But I'm looking for somebody who can share the vision and I'm looking for somebody who will take a very large chunk. Um, there are some, there are some questions around how we structure that, especially when I'm looking at how we, how we take investment and all the rest later. But, um, those are, those are more mechanical than anything else. You're, you're going to have, um, it's going to be pretty close to an, to an, to an equal share kind of thing, right? I, I don't, I'm not looking for a, I'm not looking for a, a ton of bit players. I'm looking for somebody who can really help and really take care of, of moving the vision forward with me. Again, I, it's, I need the tech co-founder. I've got a handle on the early parts of all the rest of the business stuff. And then we'll hire people as needed for that. Who knows? Maybe we'll get some investment from somebody who has people like that, right? Yeah, great. I mean, to me, this is, this is the kind of thing you need to know. If you're going to make a decision about your life, these are the very broad things you need. I think it just gives a really clear picture. To wrap up, what would you say to someone who's made it all the way through here? If you've listened to this whole thing clearly, you find it at least a little bit compelling. Maybe you just think it's entertaining because you think I'm crazy. But look, this is a large, this is a very large potential market. There's an immense amount of value to bring to a rather large number of people. Um, and that's what I'm about here. So I'm looking for somebody else who is also about bringing a ton of value to a ton of people. I want to democratize this new technology and put it in people's everyday lives in ways that, that make a big difference to them. So let's, you know, come on, let's have a chat and let's go make a big difference in a whole lot of people's lives. Perfect. So if you're considering being a technical co-founder, you can reach Steve at, you can reach me via email at Steve at VRI Management, LLC. That's Victor Romeo Indigo Management, LLC.com. That was a great interview. I'm really glad you got good stuff. I, I wish that I had uh, been able to, to join you all for that interview, but this is a really interesting type of conversation to start to have on tape. Yeah, the, the theory for Steve is have intelligent people who really want to consider this ask you the questions blind and then you can just publish it you can use you can use social media to say hey i'm looking for a founder and you know here's some things about me if those kind of things resonate with you then hey contact me well i hope we get to do more co-founder search type episodes and activities the space of getting pivots interested in smaller companies where they can have a more important and significant impact on those companies is something i want to see more energy into. I want to put more energy into and I, I want to start getting people who have had successes doing it, sharing their patterns and perpetuating that. So I, I'm, I'm psyched to be able to take these sorts of steps down that path. 
Yeah, it, it's very exciting. I mean, there's a bunch of things that that line up here, which is if you're in a small metro that doesn't have a software, that doesn't have nothing, <laughs> Phoenix has nothing like the Bay Area ecosystem. But that does allow a leapfrog model where we can take our models and plant it in your metro. It's very easy to be very visible in a small metro. In in six months, I've made it through most of the streams of the of the PHX, and I know what's missing, and now I can start helping build this metro. And for local startups, I'll say as an aside, a lot of pivots are, we need it remote to make any sense. It's it, Someone's going to be remote, therefore, we all need to be remote. A small metro gives you an opportunity to have a different experience. You know, he said in the interview, breathing the same air as a co-founder in a, a small metro with a small team with a startup. Yes, you may go remote or hybrid eventually, but these places you can have an office. You can have a house that's large enough for one of you to both work in and you can find that and rent it and just get to work. So I think there are some advantages to that model, too. I'm committed to remote and or San Francisco personally, but I, you know, again, I see all this space out here that could be filled with pivots, trying different things. And I want to fill that space too. hundred percent. A lot of people have moved out of whatever the large Metro there was that they were in that supported the software business and they're in different places. This is an invitation to pivots to really think about how to get out there. You can have this conversation without being a founder. You could, you know, you know, be the avatar for this conversation. All right. Well, that's our episode today. We will pass notes to this guest if anyone wants to get in touch with him. You know, his uh, email address is in the episode, but you can also write Tony. Uh, what is that? That's precept at gmail.com. Correct. And we'll get people in touch. Or if you have questions that we'd like to pass to this guest, if we have him back on, there are things you would want to talk with him. You know, there's two levels here. One is give us the questions and we'll ask him. The other is come on and help interview him. Yeah, and Steve is very, Steve is totally happy to do these iterations. So if we come back and we're like, oh, here's a whole other pile of questions, he's he's totally happy to play the game. Yeah, the the, the thing I picked up off this is he's ready to go. So he is ready to go. Want, he doesn't want to wait a ton, but he's if it's going to maybe get him something, he's ready to talk, and I like that. Yeah, hundred percent. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today, this has been Radio Free XP. Uh, we recorded this additional part Friday, November 10th after an original. What was the the date of the first recording? Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. All right. So the interview was Wednesday, November 8th. This follow-up is on Friday, November 10th. And it's been a great pleasure recording for you all today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free XP. If you're interested in helping with graphics, bumper music, or other aspects of production, or if you'd like to be on the show, please contact Jesse Alford or Tony Hansman on the Pivotal Alum Slack. You can also reach us via email at jesse.alford at pm.me or precept at gmail.com, respectively. <laughs>